welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. So Psalm 97, 1, Psalm 97, verse 1 says this. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Now, Psalm 97 has been just a huge part of my kind of growth and theology and, and as I've applied and practiced what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm not very good at remembering lyrics for songs. Like we were on, when we were driving this past week, like an 80s song would come on. And so Michelle and I would turn it up and we'd sing. And without a doubt, within the first couple of, you know, verses, I, I would get it wrong. And Michelle would look over and laugh, and the boys laugh at me. And it's just, I just don't, I, I, like I can feel the song, but I'll just dive in. And I don't do it like haphazard. I dive in with gusto. Like I'm like, I'm going to sing the wrong thing bad. But um, uh, when, I was, when I first became a Christian and, and I got into worship songs, one of the first ones that I learned, like I could sing on my own away from the building, was this song called The Lord Reigns. It was a song back in the 80s by Rick Founds, but... The Lord Reigns takes you through Psalm 97, and and it takes you through kind of the feelings that it goes through, and then it comes to the end, which is all about worship. And so it's just this beautiful, just beautiful psalm. So it's it's very important to me. Then in uh, 2008, I was pastoring a church in Colorado, and but I was finishing up some uh, master's work at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I was sitting there in my dorm area. And I was reading uh, Psalm 97. And the English Standard Version of uh, Psalm 97, verse 1, says this. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. And just the words, the many coastlands, just jumped off the page at me. And, and the Lord spoke to me, that, uh, and I wrote it right there in the, in the margin. It says, this is speaking about the central coast of California, where I grew up and where I'm from. And so God wants to plant a vineyard there, us to go plant a vineyard. So, so three years later, we did. Uh, we, we, we moved from Colorado and went back to where I was from, and, and we planted a vineyard in Morro Bay, California, and it's called Coastlands Vineyard. And so, so, just, so it's very personal to me, this psalm. And it's very personal in, uh, because I think what it speaks, because we can get so confused about how you do this life thing, and yet this psalm makes it very simple. Uh, and, and my prayer is that you guys would be encouraged and, and it would direct you guys in your life as well that you would come back to this. I think, I think it's kind of like a, uh, you're trying to make decisions in life. You're kind of think through things and you go back to, you know, old orders are, are good orders. You know, like, well, I, I need to make a decision. I don't know what to do, but, but I don't have anything fresh. We'll, we'll go back to some good old orders. And that's what Psalm 97 is. And so the psalm speaks of God reigning over his creation. And it speaks of people, the result in people, when they let God reign over them. And reign over them is part of his creation. What happens is gladness and joy. There's rejoicing and gladness when we allow God to reign over us. And, I mean, don't you want that? Just, just rejoicing and gladness? I mean, doesn't that just sound good? to just have rejoicing and gladness in your life. And I think the problem, though, is, is right now we're like, you know, Cody, I just want normal. Like, like I, I just, I kind of just want to go back to normal. 
And, and that's the thought in our minds, the normal rhythm, the normal things. And I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I think that we are in a shift in time and space that where things are shifting. So your choice, you choose. Which, which door will you open? Which path? Will you enter one that is rejoicing in gladness? Or you enter one where you let others rule over you? Other things rule over you. The choice is ours. I, I think we should choose letting God r- rule over us. So Psalm 97 reveals that the way to rejoicing in gladness is by letting the Lord reign in our lives and then in our land. That's the way that it works. In our lives and then in our land. So uh, Psalm 97.1, first verse, uh, again, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores Rejoice. So this psalm speaks of Jesus or the Lord coming as Messiah. And so that's what it speaks of right there because you could say, well, he always reigned, yes, but it speaks of a coming, like let things be changed. So Jesus Christ has come as Messiah. Jesus Christ has come to reign and rule. He's inaugurated the kingdom of God in time and space. And so that's why we should be glad. That's why we should rejoice because the kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of man and the kingdoms of Satan, okay? He's invading that in time and space and the kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing, but it happens in people. And we err though because you say, well, wait a minute, the kingdom of God has come and why isn't everything perfect? Like why isn't everything set and groovy, right? That's the number one uh, pushback I get as I share Jesus with people. Just people I know or people off the street is like, well, right, but why isn't everything set already? And the problem is, is that we try to push Jesus into the mold of maybe rulers in the world or kingdoms of the world. We err in our thinking with that, which is like, God, if you're going to come and bring a kingdom and bring everything and make everything right, you better do it the way that the rulers of the earth would do. But that's just not the way that it happens. That's not the Jesus style. Think about these words of Jesus, or these words spoken about Jesus. I don't know who said it. Um, I couldn't find it, but it's been out there lately. And it says of Jesus, Jesus had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. God does not fit into our normal modes of kings and rulers and reigning. And so it's an error to try to force him into that. So Psalm 97, verse 2 through 3, continue on, says this. It says, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. So these verses have hints of God with Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and other places you see it recorded. And, you know, where God would meet with Moses and a thick cloud would come over the mountain and the Ten Commandments and other things. And and God would meet with, with Moses, it says, as a friend would meet face to face with another friend. It also has kind of elements of this, uh, the, the cloud would guide the people of Israel um, uh, during the day, which God's presence. And then, and then at night, 
there was this, this, this pillar of fire. And so you also you see this picture of this. But the full weight of God's glory, like we couldn't handle. That's why when you say, well, why doesn't God just like make it right? Well, because it would blow everything away. Like, we just, God, just make it right right now. Well, everything would just wither. And so God is invading in his way. And he's invading inside, working itself outside. And so anytime that God reveals himself into time and space, it's veiled. It's, it's like under this cloud. And so you, you have to realize that God is bringing his glory, but it's, it's, it's veiled behind this somewhat. And so you, you, have to, you have to look at that. And, but that makes you feel, though, well, can I trust him? You know, what's God hiding? If he kind of veils what he does, he doesn't reveal all of things. Well, what does this verse say in verse 2? It says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. And so, yes, he veils things for his purpose and his good, but you don't have to worry. He's righteous, and he has justice, and he's good. And then verse 3, fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. And you read that, and you say, well, who's the foes of God? You know, like, who, who's, who's the foes of God? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Who, who is the foes of God? Well, it, I, don't, I don't think it's you and I. I don't think it's you and I, unless you choose it. You know, I could think of better people to make your foe, you know. But no, the foes of God are the, are, the, are, the, are the forces and the powers that push against that push against the people of God. You see, God's foes are naturally those that come against you. No matter where your relationship with him, him is. He loves you. He protects you. He made you to be loved, to be, to be an object of his affection. And so God's foes are the, the, the powers and principalities. But Jesus actually overcame them by the cross. And so this is how the kingdom has come, though. The kingdom has come veiled, and it comes reigning in people. That's why his first followers were upset. They said, well, why don't you set up your, your, you know, your throne here? Why don't you set up your kingdom here, right? And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't been listening. And so what Jesus does is he comes and reigns in a person, and then his kingdom grows in that person, and then it works itself out in that person's life. And the kingdom reigns and, 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 and rules from that point on. So who are we to tell God how he's to reign? Like, well, God, set up a building, set up a place, right? No, I'm going to reign in people's hearts and work it out that way. That's what I'm going to do. So uh, we see that the Lord's come, right? This is all about what Jesus has done. But also, too, Jesus is coming. So the Lord has come, and then he's also coming again. Okay, so this next part of it speaks of that. And so in verse 4, it says, His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. And so uh, that which is evident to creation like that which is evident to creation revealed by design, right? If you look at creation, you see a design. You know, the sun goes up, it appears, and the sun goes down. You know, there's a day and there's a night. There's order to things. So you, you can look and see there's not disorder to creation. There's actually order. You, you see seasons come and you see animals function a certain way. And so it speaks of its natural revelation, 
okay? And so creation has a response to God coming. Uh, but, but, but this kind of speaks of, that there's elements here. His lightning lights up the world. Well, uh, when Jesus comes again, it says that, that every eye will see him, you know, he'll be seen by everybody. And, and, you know, I used to think back in the day, well, maybe just he's really that big, you know, I, I don't know, right, when he comes. But we have the technology today that, if, that when Jesus comes back, I mean, everybody could see all at once, right? And so it says that he's coming again. And, and, and let, let me tell you, though, this isn't about when he's coming. We don't know. We just know that he's coming. And he didn't tell us when, but he did tell us to be ready, to be ready for him when he comes again. And he's, and he's good when he comes. So also, too, um, idols and false gods have a response as well. In uh, verse 7, it says, all who worship images uh, are, are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Uh, and, then, and then verse 8 says, Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So that which is temporary, that which is noise in this time, that which is the shiny things that we give our attention to in this time, uh, those things will end up being shown for what they are. And, and it says, it says, uh, it says, you are exalted above all gods. Um, in, in, in verse 7, it says, um, worship him, all you gods. And so it's saying, like, look, everything that has our attention now, everything that looks so good to give ourselves to, will actually prostrate itself before God. Everything will be shown for what it is when all things are said and done. Uh, years ago, I was talking to a guy, and I didn't know him well, uh, but he was telling me we were talking about jewelry somehow. Like his wife had a lot of jewelry. And I was like, wow, um, you know, it really, looks really expensive stuff. And so he tells me, he tells me that everything that he has given his wife, as far as jewelry, including her engagement ring, was actually like uh, cubic zirconium. And so it was, it was I'm not going to say fake. It is something. It's beautiful. Um, but he just said, yeah, it's that. But I mean, so between a real diamond and that, like carrot to carrot, I mean, it's, it's like thousands more, right? Uh, and so the worth of it is, is not much. So that's not bad. Like if that's what you do, that's not a bad thing, right? It's pretty. The bad thing, though, is, is he, he told his wife that it was all real. And so just somehow he's telling, like, what are you talking about? How, like, what if she finds, he's like, she doesn't care, but she just thinks it, you know. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she would, she would wear it a lot. And so you'd see it, and she was really proud of it. Can you imagine the shame that she would feel if a jeweler, like, came in the midst of, like, a party, and she's all done up and got her jewelry, and, and the jeweler said, everybody, let's examine this. Can you imagine the shame? And not just in that moment, but, like, that, oh, my gosh, I've, I've spent all these years representing this worth of this, but in actuality, it was a fraud. It really didn't have value in itself. That's how it is with the things that we give ourselves to. It says, it says in verse 7, it says, all who worship images are put to shame. 
So all the stuff that draws our attention, all the stuff that says, you know, like, you know, we end up doing like Gollum, like precious, right? This is my thing. This is my stuff. I'm giving myself for this. I just got to get this. It's like that woman with her jewelry. It's, it's not even real. It's, it's, just, it's just a fine shadow of what's really real. It's not lasting. So verse 8 says, those that worship the Lord are glad at his work and coming. And so those that are worshiping, those that are giving their lives to him and letting the Lord rule over their lives, when the Lord comes, they're happy. Why? Because that's what they've been, they've been pouring into. So the Lord is exalted far above all gods in verse 9. In other words, everything's shown as it really is. Uh, and, and you look at it, and I mean, you know the tension. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, people are so into what's tangible, what's real, what's right in front of them. And, and, and I'm just like, God, could you show yourself more? And God does show himself, but he doesn't do the way we want. And we're saying, God, fit into this system, fit into this way. And he's like, no, I work inside your life, and then I work myself, my way out. So if you want God to be seen more by your friends and your family and those things, then let the kingdom come inside of you. Let him reign and rule inside of you. The next thing we see is that God's people have a response as well. And so verse 10, it says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. And then verse 11 Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. So look at the first part of verse 10. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Where do we start? Here's my suggestion. Start with your evil. We tend to be very good at hating other people's evil, right? Like we're very good at picking out the, oh, yeah, that's, I see that. But, but what, if, what if those that love the Lord, because if we love him, then we need to also hate the things that he hates, which, let me just set it, is not people, okay? It's not people. It's evil. Now, people... Evil needs a vehicle. So people become the, the vehicle for evil. But what if I start with my own evil? What if I start with my own stuff? I probably could actually make a difference in helping other people with their evil if I started with my own. All right, Jesus talked about that. He talked about taking the, you know, the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else. So start with your own. Now, where it says in verse 10, the next part, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Um, you look at it on the surface and you say, well, that's just not true. Like if you look at real life, right? I mean, there's people, like there's, there's people that love Jesus and follow Jesus that end up getting the hands of wicked people and, um, and, and bad things happen to them, right? So you say, well, wait a minute, what's this saying? Well, where it says lives of his faithful ones, that equals souls of his faithful ones. And so, so yes, it may happen in this life that, that people are able to, to, to harm you, even to, even to the point of death. But the Lord says, the real you 
I don't leave with them. I take the real you to be with me. Your soul, like the real you, I protect that and hold on to that. And we struggle with that because this life, we end up worshiping this life. That's why we struggle with death so much. Because it, 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 it just messes with this life. Like, it's just like, well, wait a minute, this is it. Well, no, this isn't just it. This, like, the, the most joy, the most love, the most peace that you experience in this life is just, just, a, just a small fragment of the fullness that you will experience when you're, when you're in the fullness of being in God's presence. Like, it, it's, it's just, just a shadow. And so it says in verse 10, let those who love, uh, verse 11, light shines on the righteous. So the kind of idea here is, is that light, like lighting up your path. You know, some people have the, uh, you know, the, the lights that are solar lights lighting up their walkway or their pathway at their home and or their driveway. And, and you think of that, but this is kind of like this fun, like light show. It's just lighting up here, lighting up here, lighting up here. The, your path is illuminated by God. That's what he does in our lives. And it flows from our heart then. Joy and light flow from our heart as, 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 we, as we respond to what God has done. And then in verse 12, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. You know, um, you have a choice, like we all do, like what we're going to like the word rejoice, think of rejoying, right? You've heard of like re-gifting, right? You, you, somebody gives you a gift and you're like, this is so special that I'm going to keep it for somebody else, you know? And, and so, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, this is perfect. Somebody has a party or birthday and, and you, you give it to them, right? Oh, thank you so much. You thought of me. And depending on where they're at, they're like, I'm going to give this to somebody else, you know? <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows how that goes? But you know, in other words, you take something and you re-gift it. But in life, like we're all cooks. Like we're all in the kitchen. And, and we're making this recipe and we're mixing things up and we're, we're adding ingredients to it. And I don't know if you've ever done this where you're, you're busy and you forget like a major ingredient. And you sit down with your family and you say, huh, like this isn't right. It's missing something. And you sit there and try to figure, oh, I forgot the salt, or I forgot the sugar, or I forgot the flour, or I forgot the, the yeast, or whatever, right? But in life, you guys, we all are mixing up something in life, all these ingredients, and the thing that's missing is the reign and rule of God. We're not missing, but it's just like we need more of it. But our independence says, like, eh, you know, I'm going to do this more. But the more we surrender to God, the more we trust God. And, and listen, it's not just this like, okay, I've done it. But he asks for more. I will tell you guys, I, I have been following Jesus since my mid-teens. He is so demanding. He is like, he, like he is, like it's this, he, he wants all of me. And I, I, I work through something and he works in me and he, he does something in me. And, and he always uses people. And, and then I get through that, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing good. 
And then I get, you know, and I'm just like, and all the while, he's changing me into the person that I was made to be. But it only comes by the Lord reigns. And when I decide that the Lord reigns over me, right, like he's the pilot, and and, and I, I may be the co-pilot, maybe, but I, I can sit shotgun, but God's the driver. He drives. And when we really think about it and not just say, sure, yep, but it's like, no, that means he's integrated into everything. So, so what would it look like, right? Like, how do we take this home? Well, uh, make Jesus the king of your life. Okay? There's one thing that one of my mentors told me. He says, you know, and it's not original, but it's true. You know, you'll spend your whole life getting to know yourself. Right? And so that's, that's one thing that's important. And the other thing is, is to make God the king of your life. You'll spend your whole life doing that. Making him the king and the ruler of your life. But how exciting is that? How exciting that is, is that as I respond to the kingdom of God, God's reign in my life, it works itself out into the land around me. Like I can end up being part of the solution for all the stuff that's going on. Because as I respond to the reign and rule, then the kingdom moves out from me. The next thing is, is call idols and evil in your own life what they are. Right? Call it what it is. I remember when I was in high school and my dad was just trying to survive me as a teenager, you know. And so I had my room and it was just a mess. You know, just old cups and, you know, meals and all kinds of stuff. I was pretty much a slob, yeah. Um, and one time my friend Greg came over and, and he was going to stay the night after we were out. And, and he's sitting there and he's like, Busick. There's ants in here. And I'm and like, wait, hold on a second. And so I didn't have any like bug spray or anything. So I, I, I had this cologne. So I'd spray him with this cologne. Now, hold on a second, Greg. Just so I'd spray the thing. He left. I was so offended. And he's like, Busick, you're a slob. What are you doing? I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, you know, it, like I just take care of it this way. <clears throat> and I wouldn't call it what it is. I was a slob and there was ants and stuff in my room. It was disgusting, right? But we have to do that with our lives, you guys. The idols, the, the, the evil in our own life, we need to call it what it is. Because otherwise it has us. And if it has us, then it infringes on that reign and rule of God in our lives. And then the last thing is Nikki and uh, band comes up here. Uh, the last thing is rejoice in the Lord and worship him. Right? So if you're going to rejoy something, rejoy the Lord over and over again. Like make that the main ingredient of your life and, and, and make your life worship of him. And um, this is important because you guys remember um, like before the pandemic, we were going through Jonah. We started Jonah and we didn't get through. Someday we'll get to chapter four. But we were talking about repentance and revival. And we we're talking about how God was moving this time. And this was a time of repentance. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a settling time of like, what's, like who's really going to rule and reign in your life. 
Like, that's the grace that God's given us. Like, he's actually given us time to think through that. Like, what am I really going to do? Religious games are not quite as easy to do these days. Like, do I mean business with God? Because I know he means business with me, but do I mean business with God? And so, he is so good, you guys. He's so demanding. And rightfully so. But he loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he's just calling you deeper, calling you deeper. Give me more of you. Trust me more. Trust me more with your life. Just give, give me more of yourself. Surrender more of yourself to me. You know, more of yourself to me. You know, what is it when you think of yourself before God? Is it, is it clenched fists? You know, like, hey, I'm here. It's cool. Or is it open hands? You know, clenched fists can be like, hey, I don't want anything from you, but kind of stay around. Or it's like, hey, I want to keep what I've got. Like, don't touch what I've got, God. Don't touch what I've accomplished. Don't touch that. But open hands is you can give and receive, right? Just open hands with God. He's good. He's, he's so good. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.